0: Hello friends and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I'm Steve McDonough, hello. Welcome to our 15th episode, which is pretty exciting. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, we celebrate the food in our lives each episode, exploring its history, its heroes, and all of its glorious hoopla. And our topic today is nutmeg. And I have to tell you, Steve, when I started doing the research on this, I had no idea how deep, deep, deep of a topic this. I, I mean. Nutmeg, you can. We could spend the rest of the year, which admittedly is only a couple more weeks from when we're recording this. <laughs> it's only
1: it's days away. But it's yeah, days okay. away.
0: Uh, but no, we. It's is. Uh, it's an amazing thing. In fact, there are documentaries made specifically about uh, nutmeg and its its role in. Yeah, uh, in the entirety of human history. So we're just going to be kind of scratching the, uh, or grating the surface of the nutmeg, I guess, as it were.
1: Oh, there you go. There yeah. you go.
0: Had to get a little um, uh, food. I agree,
1: though, when in researching nutmeg, because sometimes you think, you know, we're going to do this podcast, we're just going to pick one specific item yep. and talk about that and find something, you know, quirky as well. And I thought, nutmeg, is somebody going to say, oh, I can't wait to hear this podcast about <laughs> nutmeg. And then you read about it and holy Cow, there is. Uh, it's it, there's a lot of like, not funny nutmeg yeah. history. It's not a. It's not a comic spice. No, it, it, a lot it, of it, nutmeg yeah. tragedy.
0: Yeah, it can get dark, and so I'm I'm gonna try to avoid some of that. In in the keeping of the spirit of our uh, typically fun and funny podcast, we'll mention a few things, but we're not gonna go too deep down uh, the dark and dangerous uh, routes. People have died uh, when it comes to nutmegs, so but we won't uh, we won't get too deep into that. But as per usual, um, let's talk about what what is nutmeg, right? So. Um, it, the spice that we know as nutmeg, is actually the seed pod of this dark-leaved evergreen tree. Uh, the Latin name is called *Maristica fragrans*. Uh, And that tree is native to Indonesia. And uh, specifically, these little islands, or this group, I guess it's called an archipelago, uh, called the Maluku Islands. And historically, you see them referenced as the Spice Islands, not the Spice Girls, although it would be pretty convenient if the Spice Girls had come from the Spice Islands. Uh, But anyway, uh, specifically, nutmeg, mace, which is, we'll talk about this in a second, is related, uh, and cloves really are originally exclusive to those islands so in you know in the entirety of the world there's this one little group of volcanic islands where these uh, very in demand spices originated from so when you look at this beautiful evergreen dark leaf tree the nutmeg fruit itself looks a bit like a pale yellow plum and it has this sort of soft outer casing again a bit like a plum and that outer part can be made into a jam or it can be cooked down into a syrup or made into nutmeg candy which I read quite a bit about and now I really want some and there's not any one selling it in and around Jasper, Georgia.
1: I don't know about that.
0: No, it's uh, it's that's sounded... from
1: the what? What would you call that? The fruit? The,
0: the flesh. You know, I guess you know the that flesh. outer bit. You know, that sort of the yeah. meaty part. Yeah,
1: and like a jam and jelly, you said. Yeah, they I make a jam and jelly. With. Like. Well, I wonder if it tastes like nutmeg.
0: It does. It the has spice. this sort of cinnamony uh, nutmeg combination, which, yeah. uh, in keeping with that, so just underneath that sort of plum-like outer, you know, skin flesh, yeah. uh, there is the seed kernel and wrapped around that seed kernel is this little covering uh, that tastes like a cross between cinnamon and black pepper. And that is the spice known as mace. So from this right. one tree, you get those three things. You get nutmeg, you get mace, and you get, again, the nutmeg fruit.
1: Now, I
0: kind of mistake- the way the
1: mace sits on it is really cool, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it? it is. It really like, does. It looks like a red- web. Yeah, exactly right. On it.
0: Yeah, the 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 scientific name is called an Aril, A R I L. Uh, but it does look like um Spider-Man shot a red yeah. web and captured this little seed pod. Um, yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah, it is pretty. It's got this almost sort of saffron um kind of reddish orange hue to it. Uh, and again, it's it tastes like a combination between black pepper, cinnamon with a little sort of nutmeg, but it's not as intense as the actual seed of nutmeg itself. Now, I, uh, I have to be a bit ignorant. I honestly thought that Mace, the self-defense spray... Was somehow related to mace, the spice, because you hear of pepper spray, which is made from capsicum, right, from from chili peppers. So I just assumed that the mace spray was made from the spice mace. But in well, fact, well, I
1: did, I did too. No, Are it you has tell me I'm wrong. Well, I, I also was as wrong. well
0: No, it has oh. nothing to do with it. It was the brand name. It was just a name like acme. Get out. Yeah. In fact, uh, if you look at mace, it is a rearrangement of the the word acme, which is uh, one of the things I read Stop said it. that's what they were doing. They just wanted a clever, you know. Recognizable brand name for the self defense spray, so it has nothing to do with well, uh, with Mace slap
1: despise. my button, call me the roadrunner. It's acme messed up. <laughs> Will you look at that? Yeah, those wily bastards. And when
0: they fell off the cliff, the uh, the crate just rearranged itself to say Mace, maybe. Oh,
1: about that. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, it, you know, this is how we can label ourselves as an educational podcast, because we also are uh, are learned in the process. So.
1: Yeah, we mentioned Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. So yes. get everything. Everything.
0: <laughs> the whole kit and caboodle. Um, so, uh, mace. I just want to touch on it briefly because it is from the same uh, essential thing. Uh, it's like I said, it's a little more delicate, and it's typically used in marinades, in meat dishes, in sausage making, uh, but also in baking. But what I thought was interesting is, particularly when baking donuts, for some reason, mace became the the spice of choice uh, in with donut makers or bakers. Uh, and if you've ever had an old fashioned donut, you know that sort of cakey, crumbly. Oh, you mean
1: my very favorite donut? Oh, that's my
0: favorite too. I didn't know that. The was ones that
1: like kind of crack open. Yeah, God, I love it. Uh,
0: I am. It. I am not a Krispy Kreme guy. I mean, I am. A, no. Yeah. If I, I like a pick,
1: glazed donut.
0: Yeah, it's okay. But my my absolute favorite would be an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does have this very mild kind of spice to it. And if you look inside an old fashioned, there's almost these tiny little black blackish dark flecks in there which apparently is mace so that that just sort of it's been like it's been kissed by nutmeg it's not in your face nutmeg but it's got that little bit of a, a spice to it that is from mace uh, uh and i beyond that i've never i've never really cooked with mace it's not something that uh, is in my spice cabinet but after reading about it i uh i want to give it a try so the the hero in this uh, in this fruit uh, mace and concoction here the seed uh, is is sort of the dried seed kernel and at one point it was one of the most valuable spices in the world and a, uh, a 10 kilogram sack of nutmeg was the equivalent of a six-bedroom manor house back in england uh, which is insane yeah. uh, so it is uh, it has been sought after for quite some time and it has a very distinct warm pungent almost sweet flavor that is really unlike any other spice But it pairs really well with almost any food. You can find it in baked goods like cakes and pies and cookies and in savory dishes like soups and stews, sausages, meats, soups, preserves. And of course, this obligatory uh, obligatory holiday beverage that we know as eggnog, which honestly is kind of what got us talking about nutmeg.
1: Right, because it's that time of year for us right now. It's Christmas. As uh, we're recording this, yeah.
0: yeah, and I I like a good eggnog. I'm not a huge fan mm-hmm. of the store bought variety, but
1: no, I don't mind a store bought variety. And then you add some like dark rum uh, and oh yeah, or some Benedictine or any of those kind of secondary liquors. Oh yes, please. No, that sounds good. Anyway, yeah, yeah if and B, if, hmm.
0: if I'm gonna have a store bought, I'm gonna jack it up a little bit with some with some good stuff so when you go to buy nutmeg you typically see it uh ground already into a powder which is sort of i would say utilitarian uh but like with many spices once you grind it i mean it's much like coffee it loses its punch right because as you grate it or grind it you're creating more surface area and the greater the surface area the quicker the evaporation and really what you're going after is those volatile oils and that nutmeg oil in particular evaporates very quickly so if you really want to get that intense kick of nutmeg flavor the best thing to do is just invest in a couple of whole nutmeg pods and then a good you know microplane or whatever your favorite little grater is and you just grate what you need as you need it and then you keep the unused portion in an air in an airtight container and it'll last you for months so uh, on the culinary side, if you're going to use it, if you're going to play with nutmeg, go for the real deal. It's much better.
1: That's what we have at our bars always, yeah. and, and, and in restaurants, you always have it on the bar—a little yeah, greater and fresh nutmeg.
0: That last-minute little scrape across the top—it's mm-hmm. uh, the whole kitchen smells great from that. All right, so now let's get into some of some of the history, because again, we're, there's a lot of roads we can take here. And as I mentioned earlier, nutmeg hails from these Maluku Islands in Indonesia, and the Spice Islands quickly became this epicenter for this fierce global conflict as this demand grew. And especially in the 1500s going into the 1600s, it was much more than a culinary spice. It was considered this medicinal herb. And particularly when it was warmed together with cloves and cinnamon, it was thought to kind of ward off anything that ails you. So this is, you know, kind of plague uh, uh, time, too. And uh, so there's the 16th century early description that says, quote, Nutmegs be good for them which have cold in their head and doth comfort the sight and brain and the mouth of the stomach and is good for the spleen. There you go. Yeah, and there the mouth you know. of the stomach, I don't know if I have that anymore. <laughs> I don't know what the, the ma- I always thought my mouth was the mouth of my stomach, but, you know, uh, it reminds me of um, is that, uh, Dimitri Martin, the comedian that talks about burning the roof of your mouth. And he said, you know, the top of your head is the roof of your mouth. The roof, what you call the roof of your mouth is really just the ceiling of your mouth. So anyway, um, so uh, the demand for nutmeg became so intense in the 1600s And the Dutch and the British were basically having this arms race, like whatever the Dutch did, the British were matching them step for step all over the globe in the conquest for not only spice, but for territories like so as this was really the birth of uh, the empiricism. Right. You know, the colonization of the world kind of started right here in this arms race over over spice and. Particularly, the best nutmeg and where it was being grown the most copiously were in these tiny little islands called the Banda Islands. And if you look at them on the map, it almost looks like somebody was cutting their fingernails and a couple fingernail trippings landed on the map. They're that tiny. I mean, they're just these little slivers. And there's five or six of the Banda Islands, and all of them were being controlled pretty early on uh, by the Dutch. But there was this one little island called Ruhn, R-U-H-N that the british kept a tight grip on and it was known for producing the best and the most uh, nutmeg so in they had years of back and forth fighting uh, there were massacres there were you know it was really a lot of bloodshed over this spice so finally in 1667 after this years of conflict they sat down to hash out a treaty to kind of finally you know agree to something how are we going to move forward and both the British and the Dutch had something that the other side really wanted. Now, back over in our side of the the pond, the British had recently gained control of Manhattan, this little town or little island you might've heard of uh, that was called New Amsterdam. And the British had managed to gain control of that. And the Dutch, on the other hand, were desperate to control that last little island called Roon And they also were hoping to get some sugar producing territory down in South America. So as part of this 1667 treaty, the Dutch traded the island of Manhattan, which quite honestly, really wasn't that important in those days. You know, as far as being productive, Um, they traded Manhattan for the island of Rune and for some some property in South America. And because of that dried seed pod nutmeg. New Amsterdam eventually became New York, which is something I find absolutely fascinating that something that we take, you know, I knew that uh, New York used to be called New Amsterdam, I had no idea that it was a spice, that it was nutmeg, it was this, this uh, spice that you now find at on the counter of every coffee shop in North America, was yeah. the, the, that was the, uh, the sort of catalyst for that transition.
1: It makes all of New York City smell like nutmeg, right? (laughs) The whole city, or if if not the city, at least, you know, at least the Broadway section. And if not the whole Broadway section, at least the one Broadway musical playhouse that is (laughs) our subject for today's Early In The Show stop guys oh i had no idea you led me right into it with manhattan i wasn't sure how i was going to do there
0: i didn't know yeah i I actually googled if there were any um any uh, musicals about nutmeg i could not find one so i I was kind of thinking you were going to take a pass today no
1: no all right so this hit broadway musical with music by sarah Borellis, opened in 2016 with jesse mueller chicago girl jesse mueller playing the lead character she waits tables by day and bakes delicious pies by night do you know the? I'm not. Don't say it if you know it yet. But do you have an idea what it is? Okay, no. you look confused. That's good. No. So let me keep going. No, no. So anyway, the uh, there's a former New York dancer turned baker. Her name is Stacy Donnelly. She uh, has a bakery in Hell's Kitchen, ironically, and she bakes the pies. For this show, she bakes 32 pies a week for the show, as well as 1400 mason jar pies each week, which the ushers are selling to audience members in the theater during the intermission. But she has one special pie that is uh, that she's filled with cinnamon and nutmeg, and that is meant to be overbaked because it is set over low heat and it's baked in an oven hidden off of the lobby. So that as the theater goers walk into the lobby of the theater, they are hit with this smell of warm pie and it is a cinnamon and nutmeg pie. So those are the flavors they are hit in, hit with as they walk into this theater that is showing this hit Broadway musical by Sarah Bareilles and the title is Hunt's.
0: I, I I have absolutely no idea. Is this a real thing where, or is this a play about somebody baking pies? Or did somebody actually bake the pies?
1: Oh, how many hints should I give you? Because you say I give you too many hints. It is actually a movie. It is okay. a, a regular movie about this woman who waits tables a day and bakes pies at night. And it became a Broadway musical. It's a big hit. And you're just shaking no, your head with I... your pigeon shirt on. You <laughs> don't know. You are shaking your head. You... Lose today's stump the straight guy. All right, Uh, if you know the answer to this and you know how wonderful it is to walk into this lobby and smell these terrific pies baked by former New York City dancer, Stacey Donnelly, get in there, get up over onto our uh, Facebook page and tell us what the title of this show is. Last week, Stump the Straight Guy, you guys did not get either. It was you and Michael Thomas playing, and it was a, a really wonderful, gravelly-voiced Italian singer named Paolo Conti, who sings Gelato and he is. Did you listen to him I yet? Did, did listen to it, out?
0: and it was fantastic. And I feel like there's a hole in my life because uh, I, I I thought it was fantastic. I've listened to it a couple times since uh, since our last show. It's
1: really good. Oh, he's so, well, really briefly, do you know how I found out about him? No. My sister and I, one year for Christmas, we said, I want you to get me a piece of music I've never heard before. And that's, we traded music and she gave me Paolo Conte. I'm like, who the hell is this? And we listened to him. He's great dinner music. Great dinner music, people. I should be getting a kickback from Paolo. But anyway, (laughs) there you go. Get to the uh, the Facebook and uh, tell us what this week's is. Sorry. Would you like to continue with your with your story, Hans? No. This is this was a great uh, great place for me to hand you the dried
0: kernel of nutmeg, uh, so you can start talking about uh, I think some of the health properties. Because we, uh, I can. Yep.
1: It's used for for rheumatism. It's used for uh, cholera, cramps, nausea, a lot of like kind of stomach issues. Uh, Nutmeg is supposedly good for that. It also can be used as an aphrodisiac, and um, can be used to terminate pregnancy.
0: Wow it's yeah, got the just, whole the whole uh, spectrum of
1: child <laughs> yeah I guess it's it's a lot of like stomach kind of stuff hmm. um, but the dangers of nutmeg are really interesting now nutmeg has been used as a drug uh, it's snorted or smoked or eaten in large quantities to give you kind of a, a hallucinogenic high in fact that's been going back since the 1200s when uh, the Benedictine Abbess uh, Hildegard of Bingen was her name. She noted the mind-altering effects of nutmeg, and that was in the 12th century. Do you know how I know that, where I read that?
0: I don't, but I know of Hildegard von Bingen. Uh, She's actually kind of a famous German, you know, everybody knows Hildegard von Bingen when it comes to, like, health food stuff. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, cool. I should have put her in Stump the Straight Guy. I read about her in a book called A Dictionary of Hallucinations. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you have that on your bookshelf. That's <laughs> a good one to have. Uh, so back in so this is how old these stories of nutmeg are. In 1576, was the first case of uh, reported nutmeg intoxication in a pregnant English woman. Uh, she had eaten uh, 10 to 12 nutmeg nuts. Wow. Now the toxic effects of nutmeg is due to uh, the Myris Myri- My my myristicin. I think it's myristicin. I think it's I think it's Miley Cyrus oil. <laughs> wow. And it's God, Miley Cyrus and nutmeg shaking my fist. And it's uh so the toxic effects of nutmegs due to my myritisin oil. <laughs> hold on, stop, stop. Hold <laughs> on. Hans. What did what were you So the
0: Latin name of the of the plant is Myristica, M-Y-R-I-S-T-I-C-A. Maristica
1: fragrance. Okay. It's the oil due to that. So whatever the hell that is, that's what it is. <laughs> and that impacts your central nervous system. So one to three nutmegs, which would be you know generally about two teaspoons, that's enough to cause this toxicity. And um, to give you kind of a frame of res- reference, most recipes that are including nutmeg, they only call for about a quarter teaspoon for the whole batch, maybe half a teaspoon for the whole batch. So two teaspoons is a lot. Uh, it's supposed to have this hallucinogenic and euphoria kind of inducing properties, but it's not very potent. It's not, you know, it's not an efficient way to get high. So abuses um, generally occur in people who don't have access to like real drugs. For example, Malcolm X talks about using nutmeg while he was in jail when he was incarcerated. He was... um He wrote that nutmeg men, in quotes, nutmeg men, would exchange money or cigarettes for matchboxes full of nutmeg that they had stolen from the kitchen. Wow. Yeah. And uh, TikTok had a really dangerous trend not too long ago with teens and young adults getting high off of nutmeg, the hashtag nutmeg challenge. So the nutmeg challenge is when some idiot consumes two tablespoons of ground nutmeg mixed in water. And then they describe the high. And so they report nausea. They report blurry vision. They report feelings of near death, like this one guy who said, I'm going to see Jesus soon. One nice. one TikToker said. Uh, and they also reported uh, instances of extreme stupidity <laughs> and an increased need for attention. I imagine so. I think that's what the whole platform is, uh, is kind of based on. Right. So I would just like to say two tablespoons of nutmeg in water is not a cocktail. It's not a cocktail, people. Yeah. You need three ingredients for a cocktail. (laughs) So speaking of cocktails, here's today's hero, Admiral Edward Russell. We're going to go back to the 1600s for this guy. He was reportedly kind of an ill-tempered commander in the English Navy in the very late 1600s. He was in charge of the Mediterranean fleet. And he was one of the group of men who was known as the Immortal Seven. Those were the seven guys who officially sent William III of Orange a request to depose the present king, which was King James II. So in the winter of 1694, Admiral Russell is ready to head back to England for more provisions and a break. But as soon as he took the throne, the new King William orders him to stay and spend the winter in the Spanish port of uh, Cadiz. Cadiz? Cadiz? Sounds should, good to me. Uh, I should look this stuff up. <laughs> I'm telling you what. The Spanish port of Cadiz, uh, in order to prevent the French fleet from leaving the Mediterranean. And... Uh, the admiral didn't like that. And he wrote this really pissy letter back to the king saying, I am at present under a doubt with myself whether or not it is better to die. <laughs> Was he going through his goth phase
0: at that point, too?
1: Right? Yeah. Oh, poor you, spending a Christmas in Spain. Is this poor like, you?
0: I think he's one of Morrissey's uh, early ancestors, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did he show his defiance? the Admiral threw a legendary Christmas party and he stuck the Royal Navy with the bill. Nice. So now this party, this party is not known for the entire roast ox that served uh, by 800 waiters. Wow. To 6,000 attendees over the course of an absurdly sprawling six-day event now, did the no. Hardy Boys
0: did the Hardy Boys cater this? I'm the curious. Hardy Boys did
1: this over six days, <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> and and Dan, you should see Dan cook an ox. Oh, no bet. one, no one can do that like Dan. Why was this such a big deal? It was the fountain. So the party is set in the middle of uh, the governor's. Um, uh, he had this exquisite garden of lemon trees and orange trees, and in the center of it is this fountain. Now they had set the fountain, lined it with Dutch tiles on the bottom and the sides and made it you know, all clean and everything. And it made a massive Delft punch ball and it held 700 gallons of punch. Wow. Yeah. So in fact, uh, the Edinburgh advertiser in 1772 said uh, it took four hogsheads of brandy. Do you know how much a hogshead is? I have no idea. Because everybody's going to be like, what's a hogshead? I didn't look up how to say Cadiz, but I I did look up (laughs) how much a hogshead is. It's 54 to 63 gallons, depending. Like uh, a hogshead of beer is 54 gallons, but for some reason, a hogshead of wine is 63 gallons. Okay. So it's a lot. So it took four hogsheads of brandy, eight hogsheads of water, 25,000 lemons. Wow. 20 gallons of lime juice. Thirteen hundred pounds of white sugar, five pounds of grated nutmegs. It's a lot. Three hundred toasted biscuits and half a hogshead of dry mountain Malaga sherry. Wow! Only you, you just you want to be careful with the sherry. Just a half a hogshead. Uh, just a half. Just you a don't splash. want to overdo it. If you overdo it with the dry mountain Malaga sherry, you you mess up the entire lake of punch. <laughs> so. The quote from people that were there uh, is, in this lake of liquor floated a small boat with a steady boat's crew. So what I'm getting at is this. There's a little kid, a young boy in a rowboat floating around the surface of this punch, mixing it with his oars and pouring it out in glasses to give to the guests. Wow. (laughs) Wow. What what would you charge for that nowadays? (laughs) I
0: mean... (laughs) And were the 300 toasted biscuits what made the floating rowboat, or were the biscuits in the punch? That's, that was the, I that's the probably, ing- had,
1: got it, had, probably had to go on the side so you had something crunchy. And biscuits would mean cookie. Okay, got it, got it, got I it. I mean, Georgia boy, biscuits would mean a cookie. Got it, got it. So Dr. William Oliver, who was actually there, he observed this and said that Russell, Admiral Russell, toasted his guests in a civilized manner. He then directed them to the punch fountain when the crowd, and here's the quote, dove in with their shoes and stockings and all, and would like to have turned the boat with the boy over, and so he might have been drowned in punch. But to prevent further damage, they sucked it up and left the punch bowl behind.
0: God. That sounds like uh, the script of a bad uh, Stephen King, uh, you know, wannabe horror story. That, that little kid had to have gone into some therapy after that, or he drank enough of the punch to where he probably didn't remember what happened. Isn't that great? That's a crazy story.
1: So there are a couple of guys in London, uh, and the company is called Bombas and Parr. Um, Sam Bombas and Harry Parr. They uh, are a multi-sensory design studio for advertising and design and marketing. Uh, they work a lot with um, with the relationship of architecture and food. Uh, so they've been known for these. They got first came to light with these really intricate jello installations but you know it's England so it's not jelly it's called jelly it's not jello Got right? it. it's, they, they, they're known for their jelly making and they were making these replications of architectural buildings and they're very they're very impressive and interesting but now they're doing they've branched into this big kind of immersive experience uh, for their clients that's what they do or these these experiences uh, in fact they did something, called uh, alcoholic architecture. Like I said, they work with the food and the architecture, drink and architecture together. So in this case, they built a bar that held a breathable cloud of gin and tonic. As um, Sam Bombas said, a vaporous cloud of booze that intoxicates through the lungs and eyeballs. (laughs) It's really quite compelling. It bypasses the liver and goes straight into your bloodstream. Your friends will be less than a meter away from you, but you won't see them at all because there will be so much gin and tonic between you. Isn't that cool? That is amazing. Images of this room, it's like a big cloudy room, but in the room is vapor, gin, and tonic, and it is going right into your lungs and eyeballs. (laughs) The motto of the event was breathe responsibly. Is this like the predecessor to
0: vaping, but on on a grander scale? And maybe a little more what delicious? It,
1: I guess so, but it was actually kind of recently. I mean, this is just oh, you know, wow. 2016. This is kind of new. So another of their parties, they were inspired by Admiral Russell, and they recently created the Bombas and Par architectural punch bowl. It set the world record by Cavassier and Bombas and Parr for the largest punch bowl. Now their vision was to fill a building with a drink that is so big that you could boat across it. Before filling up your glass and having a drink, wow! So, they found this building, and in this one room, they built eighteen hundred square foot punch bowl. Now, one of the problems that they said was there's a number of quite tricky issues that you've got to manage. One is that buildings are not meant to be flooded with alcohol, <laughs> which is true. Yeah, true, very true. So they built this huge punch ball inside this house. It was kind of a dilapidated house and they had to figure out how to support the floor from falling in from the weight of all this punch, right? And then to build it, it filled up a room in order to make sure that it also isn't going to leak. And they had to make the sides kind of high so that as the as they're moving around on the rafts inside of it, they're not splashing waves of punch <laughs> onto the other people. So, as they entered the room, they were surrounded by just billows of dry ice. And the room was, of course, overwhelming with the smell of the, of the punch. Uh, there were these huge rafts that looked like giant orange wheels. And a few people were able to sit on the orange wheel raft and float around. <laughs> In the punch. <laughs> and if you didn't get a chance to do that, you could use the remote-controlled garnishes wow. they had. And you could pilot them around these kind of cherries on these, uh, these kind of mint leaf boats. And you could just pour, you could pilot God. that around your punch as you were drinking. It looks like a lot of fun. And I will, uh, I'll definitely put a link to that on the Facebook page, too.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, so it took four tons of punch which is over 1,000 gallons, 25,000 servings. And to give you, it's a th- it's over 1,000 gallons, as I said. To give you uh, kind of a reference for that, you know when you go to the water park and there's those big buckets that fill up above the kid's head yeah. and it turns over like at the Great Wolf Lodge or someplace yeah, yeah. like that? That's 1,000 gallons. Wow, how many hogsheads is that? <laughs> oh, I. they said there wasn't gonna be math.
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha, okay, sorry. We can, yeah, we can talk they, about that after the fact.
1: Well, I'll need my calculator for that. So in this um, this cocktail, in case you're wondering, uh, was Cavassier Cognac, because that is the, that's what the event was for, in cranberry and pomegranate, and a berry shrub with uh, cider vinegar, cinnamon, car, uh, cardamom, and of course... Nutmeg. Nutmeg, yeah. So that's how I managed to squeeze Bombas and Par in here. Really cool guys. Um, and here comes... The quiz. Uh Oh. Yeah, here comes the quiz. Because I've told you about some of these crazy projects that they've done, okay? One of these is not a title of one of their projects. Okay. Okay? The rest are titles of their projects. The Sausage Seance. (laughs) Romancing the Armpit. Napkins of the Future. Sous-vide with car batteries or air fresheners of the apocalypse? I don't Only know Only that... one of those is not I... real.
0: Yeah, that, that I'm having a hard time wrapping my, uh, my alcohol Sausage in seance, vegetable.
1: romancing the armpit, napkins of the future, sous-vide with car batteries, air fresheners of the apocalypse.
0: I'm going to hope that the armpit one did not happen
1: you're going to hope that and you would be wrong ah what was the that? wrong one the wrong one is sous vide with car batteries but here's the thing they these were so wacky when i was reading them that i couldn't make up one that was weirder so <laughs> they had one called cooking with lightning which i just switched out to sous vide with car batteries because i couldn't get any crazier i was out of ideas how do they cook with lightning? How do they right? is, it seems like that's a long party?
0: Hang on, guys, don't leave yet. We're waiting for that moment, waiting for that lightning strike.
1: Well, if the h- lightning can hit the car batteries, see I'm, get, I'm getting there yeah, with this.
0: Yeah, you're getting inventive. They should hire you.
1: Yeah. And that is my a couple of great, really fun recipes using nutmeg in unusual and vast ways, which will bring us to more recipes.
0: The only thing that's hotter than the oven is
1: watching you cook
0: so Nutmeg is one of those things, again, it's it's uh, it has sort of become this holiday spice, even though it is not. It, it can be used in so many great ways throughout the year. Um, I kind of got sick to death of the whole pumpkin spice thing. Um, you know, it's been used so much. And unfortunately, nutmeg kind of gets villainized and lumped into that pumpkin spice trend at times. Uh, mm. And I just, uh, it's been overplayed, that card. So I... I, in the last decade, have kind of pulled back from nutmeg in in my, you know, kind of fun, creative time. But one of those early memories that really strikes me was learning how to make spätzle from my dad. And Spätzle are these kind of homemade German drop noodles. Um, you and I, Steve, have had them at, at Schnitzel Fest, which I hope we're going to be doing another yes. Schnitzelfest, Fest, of course. Yes. Uh, but the word Spätzle means little sparrow, like the bird, little sparrow. Why? I have no idea. They don't look like sparrows. They're not even the same color as sparrows, but it's a cute name. Um, but they are essentially these drop noodles. You make a very simple pasta dough, and then you either push it through kind of a a pan that has holes in them, and you, you drop the noodles that way, or you can take a... a a long knife and kind of cut the, the dough in ribbons off of a wet cutting board. And I'll put a recipe up there. But the great thing about Spetzla it's it's a great neutral base, but my dad always used a little fresh grated nutmeg when he was making the dough, which then perfumed the water and the whole kitchen would then smell uh, this this little bit of, of nutmeg perfume. And it wasn't so overwhelming that, you're, that you felt like you were eating pumpkin pie spice. Again, this was prior to that trend but it was just enough that when you kind of browned a little butter and you tossed the the fresh noodles in there the 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 drop noodles the spetzla with that little bit of nutmeg in the dough again it would just wake up the whole kitchen and it is such a great platform anything that you serve that has a sauce if you're doing a roast with a gravy to have those kind of nutmeg-kissed noodles on the side, it really is a fantastic thing. Uh, and I make it all the time, so it's not a seasonal dish. Uh, you can use it any time of the year, and it is also a great base. I just recently made where I took uh, some roasted butternut squash that I had left over, and I just mashed it into the dough and made butternut squash spetzla. or you can make cheese spetzla, You can make uh, so many different variations, but I'll include a recipe for just a good old-fashioned spätzle with a little bit of freshly grated nutmeg, and I think that'll become one
1: of your favorites. And it's fun to make like I. it's so, you know, you know, those satisfying videos that yes. <laughs> you could see the, just watching those little kind of droplets of the, the noodle come off of the spitzel maker yep. and into the water.
0: No, That's it's a great thing. It, but if you if you make the mistake that I did, if you're too slow about it, the steam from the boiling water below can actually cook a layer of the pasta and clog those holes. So there's a tip: is you got to move at a certain kind of pace. You can't sit there looking at the, you know, enjoying that neat little thing. <laughs> Making in my slow-mo. TikTok video.
1: Yeah, and Hashtag watch the video. Sh- a challenge.
0: Yes, slow, slow. Quick, go, go, go quickly with the spetzler. But anyway, little, little tip there. But yes, it is That's a very, very good tip. Yeah, very tip. satisfying.
1: Uh, my recipe this week is not actually mine mm. uh, this admiral russell punch that we talked about it is still a punch this this punch that admiral russell made and served to everyone in the delft um uh, uh fountain bowl pool. <laughs> is uh, the recipe is around it is called admiral russell punch and it is a still a, a known drink David Wundrick is one of my heroes. He's one of the most, the one of the foremost authorities on cocktails, and he has a book out called Punch. He has another book out called Imbibe. He knows all the stuff I love to know the the history and the backstories and the little, the little hidden secrets. And he also uh, he's won a James Beard Award. He um, writes for Esquire so frequently when. I am looking for a recipe. I will first, before I go anywhere, go to Esquire's website and see what Wondrick says because he's got, I I just really, really trust him. So he made in his book, Punch, which, you know, go out and buy people, Uh, download my book, The New Old Bar. And while you're doing that, uh, buy David's book too. So he recreated the uh, Admiral Russell Punch, and he says, um, <laughs> if you wish to add ice, you might want to omit the rowboat to avoid any maudlin titanic moments, <laughs> is, It's a good idea. Uh, and this, uh, the way he does it serves 18 cups, uh, 18 people makes 18 cups. He says you should multiply it for 700 for true authenticity. And he garnishes his with a little Playmobil rowboat. Helmed by a by a little boy, which is really kind of fun. Nice and great nutmeg over the top. So I will be putting David's recipe up as our um, as our recipe for this because I just think that we should take a look at Admiral Russell's punch.
0: I think we need to invite uh, David to the show. He might not say yes, but uh, you don't know till you ask.
1: He'd make me look stupid.
0: <laughs> oh, you make me look stupid every episode. So I think that would be a turnabout.
1: So as always, if you want to get a hold of these recipes, we hope you do, go to our website, butidigestpodcast.com and take a look at those and some of the past recipes we have. If you want to email us complaints, go right ahead. butidigestpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to say lovely things to us, then go to Twitter and Facebook at butidigestpod. And you can check us out on Instagram at butidigestpodcast. On our website, don't forget, you can find a link to purchase Hans's line of spices, as well as a link to download my cocktail book, The New Old Bar. And as always, again, special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel, to our editor, Natalie Dechico, Special music by Corey Goodrich. And our theme music is by Brian Reyes.
0: And if you want to design a Bud Eye Digest app for us where you could remotely control garnishes in someone else's cocktails, feel free. I would love to
1: have that app. <laughs> All right. And with that, I would say we are most definitely done here. Is that true? We are done.